resurrection means something. We pray now, Father, that you would teach us from your word that we would be strong in you. Father, may it be said, the one who died and is alive has now given life to us. May it be that the resurrected King resurrecting us. Father, we ask your blessing on our time here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would turn the Bible to Revelation chapter 1. Amen. You know, back in the day, they didn't, they didn't use mics. Have to bring it with your voice. So I'll try that. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. I want you to look there at Revelation chapter 1. If you didn't uh, bring a Bible, you can use the pew Bible that's there. Those are the black Bibles in front of you, and it would be page 1,126. Page 1126 if you want to use a pew Bible. We're going to be there in Revelation chapter 1. You know, I said last week on Palm Sunday that uh, I'm a little bit... Uh, disappointed that Easter's not a kind of a, a bigger, longer holiday. What I mean by that is, uh, for Christians, Easter and Christmas are both really big, right? Easter is that he is, is alive because he died and now he's living, and Christmas is that he came to us so that he could do that. So, so both are really, really meaningful. But the way uh, things are set up, especially here in our country, is that as soon as Thanksgiving ends, I mean, we hit the ground running. Some of y'all, as soon as you finish Thanksgiving dinner, you're on to Christmas shopping, right? And so the Christmas holiday spans from like November 20-something-ish to December 25th, right? I mean, the Christmas lights are up, Christmas tree, we get into all of that. And so we allow for a lot of time to think about Christmas. It's on our mind for a long time. Easter's not quite like that. And Easter kind of sneaks up on us. It's in the middle of uh, spring, and we're looking forward to all the other stuff that we've got going on. But it's, it's just as big, right? It's, it's arguably bigger than Christmas from what it means. It's about the resurrection of Jesus, and I wish it was a little bit more. Sometimes we're not as focused on the resurrection as we ought to be, and that's a problem. This year, it seems totally like that because you have spring break, Easter weekend, and the final four. We're torn, right? There's a lot on our minds. I, I mean, uh, there's a lot that we're thinking about. We're busy. We've got a lot going on. And it's, and it's hard to really focus and take it in. I, I bet many of you are feeling like just making it here today was a huge stretch. And just getting here, you know, and we're not necessarily uh, all focused on what this means for us in our hearts. And so... I'm really hoping, and we've been praying, and I've been praying, that today would be good for us, that we would really be able to focus on the resurrection. You know, Easter means that Jesus is alive. And if that's a big deal, if that matters, if that's true, then that means he died. And if he died, then... That means the cross, the crucifixion is true. That means that there's some questions to answer about, man, how, how did he die? And I thought he was God, and could God die? You know, that's an interesting question. Could God, got, could God die? Did God die on the cross? And uh, thinking through all of that. And if, and if that's true, or you believe that, then how did he die? And that leads you to, well, 
The Bible says for our sins, and then you start thinking, okay, well, what sins, whose sins, which sins, and what are sins? You see, it's, it's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? It's one thing to just say, I, I believe Jesus is alive. Do you believe he's alive? Do you believe he's alive after he died? Do you believe that he died? Do you believe that he died for sins? Do you believe in sin? And it, it kind of goes like that, and that's what makes it really good. It's, it, it doesn't allow us to just, just say we believe in it. It, it. it begs us to deal with it, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that while our hearts reach for those type of things, you may not always want to think about them. It may not be something that you discussed last night watching a ball game, or it may not be what you discussed at the dinner table. But those questions come up, don't they? I cannot tell you how many times I've sat with a family next door to funeral home or at a different funeral home. I've sat with people that I know and love, and I've sat with people that I don't know. And they've said to me, Josh... Do you think they're in a better place? See, those questions come up. They, they do. Not, not because there's some crazy preachers running around forcing y'all to think about it. They just come up. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've sat with a family that has said, man, our family's just not working out. I hate to admit it, but we, we just don't get along. Why is that? See, those questions come up. Not because there's religious people out there forcing it. It's just they, they come up. This is how life is. And, and Easter is addressing those if we would take time to think about it. Easter is addressing those. And it's important for me and for you, it's important for us to get back to the source. Christianity is so all over the place these days and yet, so little of it has to do with Jesus. Y'all, Jesus is so good, so clear, so helpful if we'll look at him. There are so many people, maybe you, maybe, maybe some of us, there are so many people today who have such strong opinions on things that are supposed to be connected to Jesus, but you don't actually know if they're connected to Jesus. And so today, I want to turn us back to Jesus. But I want to move us past so much of what you already know, and I want to get to the end. I want to get to when the heavy stuff is on Jesus' mind. We're going to the last book. We're going to Revelation. We're going to, to a single vision that the Apostle John got as he was in exile because he was telling people about Jesus. They said, we've had enough of you. I think you know that persecution still happens in the world. There are some places in the world where it is serious that you should not talk about Jesus, and it was that way then. And the Apostle John, who was perhaps the closest to Jesus, was very open about Jesus. He was preaching and teaching Jesus everywhere he went, and they had had enough with him. They did away with him, and they sent him to be alone in, in, in handcuffs and chains in exile on the island of Patmos, which is a real place, for the rest of his life. And while he was there in a miraculous way, and, and I realize that some people don't believe in the miraculous, but you don't believe in the risen Jesus if you don't believe in the miraculous. So if you believe that the dead man is alive, you can believe in a vision too. And God gave John a vision, and it's called the book of Revelation. 
And in the book of Revelation, John is sitting there and he says, it was on the Lord's Day, that's Sunday, and he says, I was in the Holy Spirit and God showed me this. And God said, write it down and give it to Christians. And that's what we have, the book of Revelation. That's where we're at. But what he sees is not the regular Jesus. And the regular Jesus is pretty impressive. <laughs> the regular Jesus is out of this world. The regular Jesus feeds hungry people, calms sick people, takes control of big, bad situations, steps into si quiet, silent situations. Jesus is awesome. He's a teacher like nobody's ever heard teach before. It's fascinating. Just fascinating. And in all of it, he was good to people, never sinned. We have no record at all of Jesus doing anything wrong because he is God. He's a fascinating study, Jesus is. But after he died and was buried and rose again, he was even more fascinating. Not because something changed about him. He's always been that awesome. He's always been that almighty God. But because he was not holding it back anymore. There was a real sense in which since Christmas, the original Christmas, when Jesus came to earth, he took on man and God became a man. And God was 100% God and 100% man. Totally God and totally man. And there was a sense, the Bible tells us, where he humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant. He was intentionally, Jesus was intentionally looking like a humble servant. He was holding back all of that authority. Now, every once in a while, he'd speak up and, and, and remind you, right? There was that time on the Mount of Transfiguration where he gathered a few guys around and he showed them his glory and they were blown away by it. There was that time where there were 5,000 people there and all they had was one little boy's lunch and Jesus said, I'll take care of it and feeds everybody out of that lunch. There were little glimpses like that. There was that time at the Great Commission where he speaks up and says, Guys, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There is nothing anywhere, not a shooting star, not a raindrop, not a breathing heart, not a cancer cell that's outside of his authority. Amen. He's so powerful. But while he was on earth as a man, he was uh, uh, humbling himself so that he could go to the cross and die for us. But after he died on the cross and they took him down off the cross and they buried him in the tomb and as I preached on this morning at our 7 a.m. service, as, as they said, hey, even though we just killed him, there's a chance we remember he said he might rise again, so you make sure you seal that tomb up. Get back to the tomb and seal it up really good so there's no way he gets out, so there's no way that they can get in. Lock it up permanently. And the very next passage says, stone rolled away, he was back. Because he's, he's unstoppable. And once he became the risen, conquering Lord and Savior of the world, there was nothing, I mean nothing, nothing more powerful than him. There never has been anything more powerful than him, but then it was crystal clear. It was obvious. Jesus is it. It's like when my kids ask me, you know, they've asked me like ten times this week, Daddy, who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? It's like when they ask me, who, who would win in a fight between Captain America and Hulk, right? And they get into these things. And then you've got that element, they'll ask, well, 
Who would win in a fight? Jesus versus whoever. It's not even a question, guys. Nobody can stop the risen Jesus. And you don't always see that in the Bible. You, you know it, but you don't always see it because he's humble. But in Revelation, it is crystal clear. And I want you to look with me at verse 17. John says, when I saw him. Now, this is not the Lord Jesus of the Gospels. This is the risen, glorified Jesus. This is after the cross, after the burial, after the resurrection. This is after the ascension. So he's already gone up to heaven. This is Jesus coming to him in a vision. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I have no problems with that. That sounds like what we would all do too. But check this out. If you're not a believer in God yet, if you're not a follower of Christ yet, consider it today. Look what it says next. But he laid his right hand on me. Are you serious? You ever had one of those dads or grandpas that was a good, good man, strong, tough, stern? When he talked, the house shook. One of those men that doesn't talk, all they do is yell, could work and do all that. And we like that about him, man. That's a, that's, a, that's a manly man, and we like that about him. But that's not the complete man. There must be a side to love and be sensitive and understand. There must be. For God has given us a world of people, and there are big people and small people and sad people and happy people and offensive people and people that need some, some care, and there are young people and little people and children, and there are babies and there are wives and there are women and there are elderly, and there's all of that. And you've got to be able to connect with those people, so just being hard and, and brash can't be it. We're talking about the risen Lord Jesus. If you would go back a little bit, it would say that out of his mouth came a sword, and his eyes were like fire, and his legs were like bronze, and this guy is unstoppable and when I saw him I fell down in his feet as though dead like don't crush me God but he laid his right hand on me and the Bible calls God a father men that's the type of father we want to be if we need to have fire in our eyes and bronze on our legs power in our voice, we need to have it. But if we need to get on our knees and hold her hand and hug his neck, we need to do it. He laid his right hand on me. Picture the most dominant thing ever coming over to you while you lay face down and saying something. It's awesome, man. If you'll start looking at Jesus and not, not believe the Christianity of the news or not believe the Christianity of just, of just church going, but look at it, man. It's, 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 it's awesome. 
He laid his right hand on me and he said, fear not. Don't be afraid. He says, I am the first and the last. That sounds awesome, right? That means that he was there at the beginning. He's going to be there at the end. Man, this, this is Jesus. But I want to take you a little bit further into this. This is not just Jesus being awesome and saying that he's long or eternal or something like that. This is even better because in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah tells us that that's what God often said about himself. You don't have to turn there. If you're taking notes, you can just write some verses down. But listen to this. Isaiah 41.4. Who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, the first and the last. I am he. That's what God, God Almighty, that's what Yahweh says about himself. Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Isaiah 48, 12. Listen to me, O Jacob. Listen to me, Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. The prophet Isaiah says that God was talking often and God would say, I'm the first and the last. When the risen, glorious Jesus sees John falling on his face as though dead, he goes over to him, he touches him on his shoulder, he says, man, don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last. You're in the presence of God. I'm Jesus, I'm God, I am the answer. And if you've got me, you've got me. And if I've got you, I've got you. There is literally, literally nothing to be afraid of if you have have God. He says this to John. Don't be afraid. After he says, I'm the first and the last, making a clear declaration that he is God, in verse 18, he reminds us of Easter and the resurrection. He says, and I'm the living one. Now, if you're not paying attention you think, yeah, well, of course he's living, he's God. If you're always living, right, if you're eternal, if you're always living and you're eternal, why do you need to say it? Ah, see, Easter will bring it up, won't it? Life will bring it up, won't it? Why do you say I'm the living one? Because just a couple good Fridays ago, he was the dying one. You see how it all comes together? You're looking at the reigning Jesus. You're looking at the king of all creation. And he looks strong and he looks powerful and all of that. And John has fallen down dead. And he puts his shoulder on him. He says, hey man, fear not. I am the first and I am the last. And I'm the living one. Any notion that God is far off or, or not personal or any notion that, that we can't know God. I mean, I know that there's a God, but I can't really know him. Or how do I really know? Any of that sort of thing is totally gone when you start to look at Jesus because he, he's alive. But he, he brings up that he is alive because you need to know that he was dead. To make that even more clear, look what he says next. Still at verse 18. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. What power, what strength, what dominion, what, what lordship, what sovereignty, what, what power. 
So right here in the midst of this incredible vision, John sees it. He is scared. He falls down as though he's dead. But God says, don't be afraid. And as soon as he starts to talk to him, even to comfort him, as soon as he starts to comfort him, the issue there is Easter, the resurrection. And if you're going to start talking about the resurrection, you've got to start talking about the crucifixion. If you're going to start talking about the crucifixion, you're going to start talking about sin. If you're going to start talking about sin, you're going to start talking about me. You start talking about you. And that's what we have here. And so I, I love Easter because it gets us thinking about life. I'm going to give you three points on Easter Sunday. Number one, Good Friday. Number two, Silent Saturday. And number three, Resurrection Sunday. Good Friday, Silent Saturday, Resurrection Sunday. You would think that in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, at the very end, when all said and done, way, way past the cross, that you don't need to bring up the cross anymore, you would think. One would think, we in our uh, kind of lower knowledge and wisdom would think, don't need to talk about that anymore. But no. For God is wanting us to understand that there is no life and no true life, no eternal life outside of embracing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Him dying on the cross and now him living to eternal life. That is where all of life makes sense. That is where we come to understand life. That he died, that he was buried, and that now he lives. And so even here in the book of Revelation at the very end, he brings that back up. I'm the living one. I died, but now I live forever. He brings that up. And so my first point today is Good Friday. And we had a Good Friday service here Friday night, and I said there just... just repetitively so many times that Good Friday was really bad. It's Good Friday because he died for us, but Good Friday was really bad because they killed Jesus. It was an ugly scene. There were criminals there. There was evil in play. They were wanting to punish him. He said, hey, he's innocent. He hasn't done anything. They said, punish him anyway. Kill him. Crucify him. It says they were urgent. It says they were angry. It says they were screaming. It, it was an ugly, ugly scene. Good Friday was bad. And if Good Friday is a real thing, that Jesus really died, then we've got to ask why, and we've got to remind ourselves that something's not right. I don't know what your life is or, or where you're coming from or where you're going, but just something's not right in life, and I think we all feel that. Something's not right because something's wrong. You know, it might be just how sick people get, and it's unfortunate. You know, this past winter, which I think we're out of now, we had a record number of people die from the flu. The flu. People dying like crazy, and you think, man, this is odd. Something's not right in the world. You know, we hear about crazy stories on the news, and you ever looked on social media and read a comment section? People aren't right. Something's not right. I mean, something's wrong. And see, Good Friday is telling us this. 
When Jesus died on the cross, it says for three hours, it went dark. It was the middle of the day, and it went dark, and everybody looked around and said, this isn't right. It even says that some people said, he was innocent, he shouldn't have died. And everybody shakes their head like, and, and, and in text or social media or, or whatever, we've got this little thing, SMH, which means shaking my head. And people say, shaking my head all the time because just things aren't right. And the reason why things aren't right, y'all, is because God tells us that because of our sins, the world is under a curse. And I, I, I mean, your family's probably got it all together, but my family doesn't. And most families that I know don't. And you think, man, it's just something's not right. And Good Friday reminds us that. Something's wrong. Good Friday was bad. And I want to ask you here today if, if you would acknowledge or agree with me that if something's wrong, something's not right, that if part of the problem might not be you. Or, or me. I mean, I don't want to point the finger. Me. Would you admit that? I, I learned a long time ago, probably high school disappointments, but I learned a long time ago that if you keep thinking that the problem's everybody else, the problem's not everybody else. The problem's probably you. If there are no girls out there that you can find or no guys out there that you can find, it might not be the guys and the girls. There's plenty of fish in the sea. If there's nobody nice out there in your opinion, if there's nobody, I love this one, we're the only normal ones. If there's no normal people out there, could it, could it, could it be that in, in some way we're all the problem? This is what God teaches us. And since in some way I'm a part of the problem in the world, now, you may not agree with that, but this is what God teaches us. We are all a part of the problem in the world. Jesus died for us. God loves us, and he sent Jesus to die for us. He didn't die for the bad people. He didn't die for the messed up countries. He didn't die for those on that side or those on that side. He died for every flawed person. But if you still think they're the problem then you're not able to say he died for me. He died for my mess-ups. He died for my flaws. He died for my disobedience. He died for my sins. And Good Friday reminds us that. Good Friday is when God punished Jesus for all of the wrong in the world. And I'm asking you, will you admit that? Will you identify with that? Will you say yes? Will you admit that you are why Jesus died? Now, I know you think they are why Jesus died, but will you also say you are why Jesus died? That's what Good Friday was about. That the world's not right, something's wrong. But after Good Friday, secondly, there was the silent Saturday. And this is such an interesting part of the Bible. We don't know anything about Saturday. We know that it was Sabbath and they weren't supposed to work and they weren't really supposed to be doing anything. We don't know anything about Saturday. And can you imagine? I mean, you've heard of awkward silence before, right? 
like when you text somebody and they leave you on red, they don't reply, and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting for the text back, and they don't. You're wondering what they're thinking. Most likely, they just haven't looked at it or their phone's over there or something like that. But you're thinking every single thing in the world, like they don't want to reply or I hurt their feelings or they're offended or, you know, all of those different things. It's that awkward silence. And the Bible teaches us that on the Saturday after the Friday that he died, before the Sunday that he rose, God did nothing. It says that the disciples were hiding and they were scared. They didn't know what to make of this. They thought that he was the answer. They thought that he was the Savior, the coming King. And it was just awkward. And I want you to know that God gave us a silent Saturday. And I want you to hear today that that speaks exactly your life. I don't know what it is that you think God's silent about, but I want to promise you here today that for that which you don't understand, God does have an answer for it. And for that which you are curious about, God has a reason for it. And for that that may be causing doubt in you, God has a proof with it. God has a reason for you to not doubt. You don't know. Can you imagine all the discussions that were happening on Saturday? Can you imagine every single person that said, man, I remember him feeding them. I remember when he raised that man who'd never walked. I remember when he raised Lazarus. I mean, he was dead four days in the tomb. And we really thought this guy was the guy, but guess not. All of that was wrong and misguided because of the silence of Saturday and because of their doubt. And so often we are operating off of something that we're thinking that's wrong, something that we don't know, but the answer's coming. And that's unfortunate. Tomorrow, April the 2nd, Val and I celebrate 13 years of marriage. And I'm pumped about it. 13 years to Val. And it takes me back. We got married in 2005, got engaged in 2004, started dating in 2003. And I can remember all of that. And you know what was one of the awesomest, most awesome, most best things about that is that we couldn't text back then. We, or at least I, don't know about her, but I would have been much more of a mess if I could text while dating, right? There was no social media. There was no texting then. So you know what we did? We had two options. We were, we were out of state from each other. I was here in Kentucky, and she was in South Carolina. We were out of state, so all we could do would call on like a landline. Imagine that. I could call her dorm room, or we could email. And I know you young people have no idea what this is like, but you have to wait. You'd send an email on Monday, and it may be, honestly, it may be Thursday or Friday before she replied. And you know what we did back then? We didn't worry as much. We trusted. She'll get it when she gets it, and she'll reply when she can reply. If somebody doesn't text back in five minutes, we're stressed. And then we start to wear people out. Did you get that? Yo, where you at? Come on. <laughs> the silent Saturday forces us to say, do I really think God's in control? Do I really believe he'll keep that promise? There are so many passages in the Bible through and through and through where he says, after three days, I'll come again. He says it so many times. We preached on this morning, John chapter 2. After three days, I'll be back. 
You kill me and I'll be back. I'm coming back to get you. There, in, in Mark chapter 8 and 9, I preached on that just a few months ago. In Mark chapter 8 and 9, they were all worked up and he tells the disciples, hey guys, don't get worked up. People don't like me because here's what's going to happen. It's going to get a lot worse. They're going to come and they're gonna not going to like me. They're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. And I'm actually going to die, but that's all right. I'll come back to life and I'll rescue you. He tells them that, that crystal clear. Then you got the waiting silent Saturday and it's like, oh, do I believe it? Do I believe it? Do I believe it? Now, God has given us so many promises. If you're safe in him, you're safe in him. If he says he forgives sin, please listen to me, then he forgives sin. Guys, if you screw up tonight, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It means it's another opportunity for God to love you. Go back to him and say, God, forgive me. And hear him put his hand on his shoulder, on your shoulder and say, fear not, man, I'm alive. I was dead for your sins, and now I'm living. And rest confidently in that. Silent Saturday doesn't say much at all about it in the Bible, but God wants us to know he is the same God on the throne, whether he's dead on the cross, where he's in the, in the tomb, or whether it's silent Saturday. There's Good Friday where it was so bad because our sins killed him. There's silent Saturday where we don't know and we just have to trust. But then as we know, we were told it and now we know it. Lastly, third, there was resurrection Sunday. In Revelation chapter 1, he falls down at his feet as though dead. He laid his hand right on me and he said to me, don't be afraid, fear not. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but I'm alive now and I live forever. I'm alive forevermore. I'm always going to be alive. You can always come to me, whether you're 3 years old or 13 years old, 23 years old, or as some of you are, 83 years old, God is still there. He is still alive, and you can go to him. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, you can go to him. And the resurrection is letting us know that he reigns, that nothing can stop him. And Easter is taking all that in. Easter is saying he's alive. I love that part of that one song that we sang where it kind of got to the end. It was just a, a short little chorus or refrain that said something like, He is dead, he's alive, my hope is Christ, right? He was dead, he is alive, now my hope is Christ. Y'all, that's the message. And Easter Sunday has brought it fully to our attention so that we would take in Good Friday, Silent Saturday, and Resurrection Sunday. That every one of us would say, do I really believe that there's sin in the world, that the world's messed up, that I messed up, and that he died for it? Do I really believe that that's the only way for me to get right with God and that he loves me so much that that happened? And do I really believe that Saturday is forcing me to think about it, deal with it, overcome it, and trust him in it? And do I really believe that what happened on Sunday with him living is the proof that that's the truth resurrection Sunday now remember the passage began with him so strong right he is powerful and he is confident but I want to take you back and I'm not sure if you all know it but there are some passages in the Bible leading up to the cross of Christ where they are really bad to Jesus I think you know that right I mean they're bad to him the Bible says that they were spitting in his face. The Bible says that they were pulling out his beard. The Bible says that they beat him and they beat him and they beat him until he was so bloody. The Bible says they took the long thorns and crammed it on his head till it 
pierced inside him. I can't imagine what that would feel like. They nailed him to a cross. The Bible says that while they were doing all that abuse to him, that just imagine the audacity. They took a purple robe and still put it on him, and, and, the, and the blood like was all over it. And they put that purple robe on him. They put that fake crown on him. And the Bible says that they were then kneeling, kneeling down to him and fake worshiping him. He didn't fight back. Another proof that he's God because all of us would fight back. We would do something. In the midst of all that, before they crucified him, he stood there on trial and everybody gave all these false accusations about him. They said, he's a liar. He's a troublemaker. They made up all this stuff about him to have him killed. And they gave Jesus opportunity to speak up and deny it. Speak up and defend himself. And he didn't. There was one time where they said, well, they say that you're God and that you're claiming to be the king. And Jesus said, you said it, not me. You said it. And it... It leaves us who are reading the, the story, watching the movie, so to speak. It leaves us going, man, I, I know how this story ends, but I sure would like for once for him to just go off on those suckers. But he, he never did. He had to go to the cross for us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He had to do it. And one asks, why? Why was he so strong in that? Here's what I want you to hear. It's that same confidence. He knew who he was. A little mocking from people he created didn't bother him the way it bothered us. A little tempting and a little pushing like it would mess with our egos. I know some of us can go zero to 60 like that. Jesus was much more confident than that because Jesus knew he was going to die out of his love for us, but he would be back to life. And when he came back to life, he was the conquering king. And now he knows, and now he tells us that every knee will bow to him. And every tongue will confess that he's the glorious Lord. And when you're that strong and you're that confident and you're that God, you don't get distracted by the smaller things. And when you've got a Savior like that, that died on the cross for our sins, stayed hidden during the silent Saturday, but then resurrected on Sunday to say, Whoever believes in me will have eternal life. That's who you want to trust. And that's what Easter's about. That's who you want to trust. And that's what Easter's about. I want you to believe in Good Friday, that it was bad. I want you to understand that there is something wrong with the world, and just like there's something wrong with the world, there's something wrong with us. Our hearts aren't satisfied until they're satisfied in Christ. 
I want you to know that a silent Saturday is helpful for us. It lets us see that there's some times where we don't know and we've got to trust the promises of God. And I want you to know that the Resurrection Sunday, like this Easter Sunday, is the very proof that even as low as a dark, sinful Friday was, it's been overcome by the love of God. And anybody who would trust in Jesus will be right with God, would be on their way to heaven because of the forgiveness of sins. I urge you today to believe in Jesus. Ask him to forgive you of your sins because he is the risen Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Revelation 1 and the powerful Jesus. God, thank you for Easter Sunday that brings all this in play and it comes up. Father, I pray that we would be gripped by who Jesus is and how awesome he is. And yet, Father, I pray we wouldn't just slip past it now, but that we would really think, are we committed to him? Are we trusting in him? Are our sins forgiven? Father, do that work in our hearts by the power of your spirit. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.